0: Amen. Why don't you please take your seats. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Greg McCormick. How many first-time visitors do we have? Let me Raise your hands and let me see. Any first-time visitors? We have some. Yes. We are grateful that you have decided to join us here today. I um, would love to have the opportunity to connect with you after the service is over. My wife and I will be down here in the front. Uh, we look forward to having the chance to meet you for those of you who are listening to us via podcast, we want to welcome you too as well. Always excited for those of you who, who uh, join in with us um, over, the, over the podcast. And so happy to have you with us as well. Today is a special day. Today is our 100th service as a church. Thank you, Keith. That's exciting to me, man. Um, I'm so stoked about what God has already done, and I'm really excited about what he has yet to do in us as we stay tuned and pay attention to how he's directing us and follow his plan. I'm really excited about that. Two things before we, we break open our passage today that I want to mention. The youth ministry kickoff is today, and if you're a young person, there you go. There's a youth pastor right there. Where are you, Mel? Is Mel in here too? I don't see you. Okay. Key and Mel have worked hard to put this thing together, and I'm stoked. I know the plan that they have. I'm stoked about what's going to be presented, and I think it's going to be a great time of, of fun and fellowship for, for the young people in our congregation. So uh, after the service today, um, we're going to be fellowshipping, or they're going to be fellowshipping, and if you have uh, any, any, if you need any information, just see Key. I'm sure he'll give you all the details. Also, on the 10th of this month, we'll be having our first parent-child dedication. Baby dedication, which you guys probably are familiar with that term. But it's, it's really a parent-child dedication because a child has no idea what's going on. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. The class. That's why I get high with a help from my friends. The class is on the 10th, okay? So you won't want to miss that class. If you've you've got a baby or if you have someone in your family that's never been dedicated before and you want to give them to the Lord and stand in front of our church family and allow us to partner with you in raising your children as a family, uh, that's what this whole thing is all about. It's a milestone. Okay, so we'll be celebrating that today or celebrating that uh, on the 24th, is that right? On the 24th of November and the class is next week on the 10th, okay? We are in a journey through the book of Philippians that we've titled Life Poured Out. Life Poured Out. Father, over the next few minutes again, I pray that you will grace us with your presence, that you'll speak through me. Speak through me. I don't know what you have in store for each one of us here today. But in this moment, Lord, I pray that you anoint the ears of the hearer. Anoint my lips as I speak. Let your word go forth with power in a way that will change lives. In Jesus' name. And everyone that agreed with that prayer said, amen. In his book, Power, Money, and Sex, it's a book by Dion Sanders, and the subtitle is How Success Almost Ruined My Life. Are these words? Meet Dion Sanders. Not the Hollywood image, not the incredible athlete, but the man who discovered after arriving at the pinnacle of success that meaning and purpose lay in another direction. Ever since he went pro in 1989, Deion Saunders has been known as prime time, the hottest defensive back in in NFL history and a base-stealing sensation in Major League Baseball. He's the only athlete in history to play in both the World Series and the Super Bowl. By age 25, Deion was already at the top of his game, but he was desperate for something more. In his gripping story, Deion writes, I've tried everything, parties, women, buying expensive jewelry and gadgets. Nothing helped. There was no peace. I was playing great, and every time I turned on the TV, I could see myself on three or four commercials, but there was no peace, no joy, just emptiness inside. Still pursuing his dreams, he cut a rap album in 1993. His song, Must Be the Money. Hit the top ten charts all across the country, and the money kept on pouring in. But despite all of his success, his life was out of control. Ten minutes after buying a brand new two hundred and seventy five thousand dollar Lamborghini sports car, have mercy Jesus man, ten minutes after buying a brand new two hundred and seventy five dollar $275,000 Lamborghini sports car, he realized that he was still desperately empty, searching for answers in all the wrong places. This is the story of Deion Sanders in his own words. With all the drama, hope, glamour, and surprise of his true life adventures, he tells the story of his rise to fame, his attempted suicide, and the shocking events that led him to faith in God and a new vision and purpose for his life. It's a story as old as time. A nightmare as shocking as today's headlines. A talented young athlete rockets to fame and fortune, becoming the highest paid player in football history. But what he finds when he reaches the pinnacle of success is not the glory he had expected. This story is a classic example of someone trying to fill their life, fill this God-shaped void with things that the world says will bring us success and happiness. And that's exactly what the, what the Apostle Paul was talking about today in our passage. This is what he speaks to. Things that we... Believe from the standards of the world will bring us success and joy, but the reality is it will never fill that void. Only God can fill it. If you have your Bibles, I want you to join me in Philippians chapter 3. I've titled this sermon, That I May Know Him. In our passage today, there are three ageless truths that I believe that the Apostle Paul wants wants us to see. The first thing that I believe he wants us to see in this passage is that we must always be on the lookout. We must always be on the lookout. Let's pick it up in chapter 3, verse 1, where Paul writes, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write these same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Powerful words. In this passage today, Paul, the Apostle Paul is addressing the issue of false teachers who had crept into the church And so this word finally that he uses at the top of this passage means, and to the rest of what I'm going to say. In other words, he's saying, to the rest of what I'm going to say, I don't have any trouble telling you these things, giving you these instructions, instructions that I'm confident will protect you from the erroneous heresy of false teaching. That's how he starts his passage. And then he says there are three kinds of false teachers. He says, first, he says, I want you to look out for the dogs. Now, as I was preparing this, uh, this sermon this weekend, I was I was thinking, I was, you know, they don't make dogs like they used to. Really, they don't. Now, I was... How many of you know where I was born? I was raised in North Pole, Alaska, right? You guys know that? I was raised in the sticks, man. My mom and dad lived five miles back in the woods, three and a half miles off the main road, and then a mile and a half back in the woods. We were in the wilderness, all right? Back before there was real strong infrastructure. Let me tell you something. Everybody had a bad dog. Everybody. You had to because... You know, back in the day, dogs dogs weren't pets, really. They were used for protection. Everybody had to have a dog. My next door neighbor closest to me was a half a mile away. My neighbor closest to him, my next neighbor, was two miles away. You had to have a form of protection. And so dogs were really used for protection. It's not like today, man, you know. Dogs today go to daycare. (laughs) They get their nails done, you know. They get showered and shampooed and, and coddled. You know, I was at, a, at, a, at an elder's retreat about, uh, about a month ago, and we were back in the backwoods in this cabin by Lost Lake, and you would expect if anybody's going to have a bad dog, it'd be this guy, right? But his doormat going into his house said, beware of the dog. He cannot control his liquor. Licker. L-I-C-K-E-R. That's dogs today, man. Listen, when I was coming up, When you saw the sign, beware of dog, you already knew everybody had a bad dog. But when you saw beware of dog, man, you had to beware of the dog. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Because back in the day, man, you know, they used to, there was no such thing as a kennel with a heated floor, you know, with a roof on the top. For your dog, it was survival of the fittest, man. The dog was tied to a tree with a big, long chain, and it had a dog house and a couple of dishes. That's how it survived. Dogs didn't come in the house when I, was, when I was coming up, right? And so dogs were mean. Dogs are real mean. Matter of fact, I think some dogs couldn't wait to get off their chain. You know, you come out and you see the dog, where the dog chain is and the dog would be gone. Dogs never come back. Dogs looking for greener pastures, man. <laughs> you know, so dogs would, would break away. We'd have stray dogs. Oh, man, I'm gonna tell you something. When you go to Fairbanks, it's like an entirely different world because there's no leash laws in Fairbanks. You're allowed to be walking out of Fred Meyers or something and the dogs just start running up. Right? And so when I was coming up, you know, there was no, there's no such thing as leash laws. So, so dogs would get away, they would escape, and for survival, they would form packs, it was not uncommon for you to be walking maybe, maybe down the street and run into a pack of six dogs. And man, I'm going to tell you something. You run into a pack of six dogs and they're stray dogs, it's not pretty. Dogs were mean, especially when they were in packs. I think this is the imagery that the, the Apostle Paul may be using here. When he says, look out for the dogs, packs of ravenous dogs that would roam the eastern countryside looking for anything that they could eat or devour. Scavengers following Paul around, looking to prey on the isolated Christians or the theologically weak or the spiritually underdeveloped. Paul says they've crept into the church. He says, listen, look out for the dogs. Then the second thing he says is look out for evildoers. These are the ones that have determined that salvation is earned by good works, by the good works of the law and living exemplary lives. He says, look out for them. He warns us not to be ensnared by their teaching. Don't be moved by their passion and their zeal and their presentation. He says, watch out for evildoers. He tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 2, he says, they have a zeal, but not according to knowledge. Their teachings are a hindrance to the gospel of Christ because, because they're a stumbling block to genuine faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Evildoers. evil. Doers. I'll give you a modern example. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Now listen, I'm not coming against the people in that church. I want you to hear me. I'm coming against the religion, the denomination. It is a doctrine of demons. Taught from a book that is held in higher regard than the word of God itself. Are you listening to me? Modern day example. Paul says, be, be careful. Don't get wooed and wowed by their presentation. Beware of evil doers. Evildoers. Then he says, look out for the mutilators of the flesh. He's talking about Jewish circumcision here. That speaks to covenant. Covenant relationship. It was a sign of the covenant between God and the, and the Hebrew nation. He says, Listen, here's what you need to know circumcision, apart from real relationship with God, is simply mutilation of the flesh. Circumcision, apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, is simply self mutilation. That's the point that Paul's trying to make here. He says, what does real circumcision look like? What does real covenant look like? He tells us in Romans chapter 2, verse 28 and 29, he says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit and not by the letter. It's what takes place in here. Paul says, beware of anyone that would try to teach you otherwise. Then John tells us in chapter 4 of John verses 23 and 24, he says, here's how you, work. Here's how you recognize those who are in covenant relationship. They're true worshipers. They're true worshipers. He says this. He says, true worshipers will worship God in spirit And in truth, verse 24, for God is spirit. Everybody say, God is spirit. Spirit. God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It's not about the sign of the outward. It's what's going on on the inside. That's what Paul was trying to warn the church. That warning is still alive today. He goes on to say, so how do you know that you are the, of the circumcision? How do you know that you have covenant relationship with God? How do you know that you are in relationship, intimacy with Jesus in relationship? He gives us three assurances. He, 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 I put it in the form of a question. He says, do you worship God in spirit and in truth? Do you glory, that word glory means boast. Do you make your boast in Jesus Christ and Christ alone? Do you refuse to place confidence in your own flesh? If you are living by these examples and these principles, those are three ways that you can know that you're in covenant relationship. So the first truth is be on the lookout for false teaching. Beware. The second truth is found in verses four through nine. I want to back up to verse three for sake of context. By the way, how many of you brought your Bibles with you today? Okay, good. You know, I would I would ask how many of you didn't, so I could bust you out. But I'm not gonna do that, all right? Everybody say bring your Bibles. You should know you should never go into any battle without your sword. Right? I'm preaching today, Rick. (laughs) That's my friend. I can do that to him. Verse 3, he says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Verse 4, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I more. In other words, what Paul is saying here in this passage, he says, if anyone should have confidence that they got it all together, it should be me. Look at what he says in verses 5 and 6. He says, here's why, circumcise on the eighth day, as the Jewish law requires, Of the tribe of Benjamin. In other words, I was born from the lineage of Rachel, not the handmaiden. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew of Hebrews. Both my parents are Hebrew. I'm a pure Jewish descent I still speak my native Hebrew language. I'm, I'm not a, 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 Jew, a, a, a Greek-speaking Jew or a Hellenist. Paul says, this is, is my expression for zeal as it relates to the law. And as to the law of Pharisee, of the strictest sect, he says. And concerning zeal, there's no one like me. There's no one to even compare my life to because, listen, I persecuted the church because I thought that what it was teaching was heresy. And then as to righteousness, as it pertains to the law, blameless. Blameless in the eyes of man. In the eyes of man, I've attained legal perfection. Now, if you stop right there, you'd think this guy is arrogant, wouldn't you? Thinks he has it all together. But then watch what he says in verse 7. But whatever I gain, I count it in loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Here's what Paul is telling us. All the, everything that I've accomplished, which by the way, let me remind you, I am an example. I am the the classic example of righteous living. Everything that I've accomplished, Paul says, all of my accomplishments mean nothing to me. They are nothing compared to the value of of knowing Christ. He says, they're all rubbish. I consider them rubbish. Skubalon. That's the Greek word. That sounds nasty, doesn't it? Skubalon. Now listen, I'm not trying to be crude here, but I want to give you the picture that the Apostle Paul is trying to paint here. The word skubalon in the Greek, the word for rubbish here means dung. Dung. It's a vulgar term that's used for fecal matter, either either human fecal matter or animal fecal matter. It's also a reference to to the dung that's, that's left on the altar by the sacrificial bull once the sacrifice is done. That's just nasty, isn't it? Left behind. A bunch of worthless crap. Good for nothing. So it scoured off the altar and washed away with the rest of the sewage. Paul says, my righteousness is that. My righteousness is nothing but a load of crap. That's my second point. Our righteousness is a load of crap. Let me tell you something, man. You know, um, and, and, and when I was coming up, you guys, I, I love telling stories of my childhood because so, it feels like it's so different than the life I live today. But when I was coming up, we had no running water, Right? We had electricity for a long time. We didn't even have a furnace, right? We, we got a furnace like in the 70s, right? And so, and so because we didn't have any running water, we had this thing called the pot. Y'all know what the pot is? No, y'all know you don't. Right? And, and, the, and the pot, the pot wasn't this, you know, this, this deep blue sanitized, you know, stuff that you have right now when you go to campsites. No. The pot was raw sewage. Everybody say raw sewage. Raw sewage. Nasty stuff. That's the pot. Why they call it a honey bucket, I still have no idea. Raw sewage, man. And it was my it was my job. It was my job to take the pot out, man. Man. And, you know, it was, about, it, was about, it was about like 150 yards from the basement where the pot was kept to the outhouse where, where it was dumped on a daily basis. And, you know, I told you I lived way back in the deep woods. And so, you know, when you're, when you're traveling on that, on that trail, you know, you, you've got a trail and you've got this hard packed ice that you're walking on, right? But every now and then it snows and you don't really know where that trail is. And so I remember carrying that pot, stumbling around like this. You know, you, know, you have good balance when you're carrying the pot, man. You develop good balance. You know, stumbling around, stuff starts sloshing and you're like, you know, whoa, whoa. Man, one day I slipped. Yeah, I know, I still feel that way today. It's been like 40 years. One day I slipped, man, and all the pot stuff got all over me. I was like, oh, 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 oh. You know, they didn't have the, 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 the rubber boots. They had those leather toughy boots back in the day. You all know what I'm talking about? And the stuff got all down in my leather tuffy boots, man. It was nasty. It was just nasty. You couldn't get it off. It was, it was just nasty. It was good for nothing. I had to throw those boots and all those clothes away, man. I'm still traumatized today over that. But that's our righteousness. That's the point that Paul that Paul is trying to get across here. And he says, "Beware of any person or any denomination or any religion Or anything whatsoever that tries to tell you and convince you that you can earn your own righteousness. Any religion that depends on you earning your own righteousness is a bucket load of doo-doo. Any righteousness outside of relationship with Jesus Christ is of no value. That's what Paul is saying here. And he says, So therefore, nothing compares to the value of knowing Christ because our joy, our peace, our hope, is wrapped up in our relationship with him it's found in him and if you try to fill that god shaped void that that is that is for relationship with jesus christ with anything else you will be left empty empty Christ's righteousness is available to anyone who surrender to his lordship. So Paul says, you know, he tells us he says listen, so now now that I've embraced this reality, now that I embrace the lordship of Jesus Christ, now that I embrace the fact that I stand in his righteousness and his righteousness alone, I can press forward into this new life that awaits me. Why? Because Jesus paid it forward for me. Look what it says in verse 10. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained this or obtained this, or am I already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So here's Paul's point here to us, to the church. He says, Listen, Jesus paid it forward so that you. And I can enjoy the resurrected life that's found in him. Paul says, listen, and I know that I haven't already obtained it. I know that I'm not perfect, nor will I ever be. And watch this now, nor will you ever be, nor will I ever be. We won't. He says, but I want to enjoy the resurrected life. I want to enjoy the resurrected life. And, Jose, you can bring your team up. He says, it's mine right now. It belongs to me. I want to own it. And so I'm pressing in to his righteousness. His righteousness that he has earned for me on my behalf. It's available to me as a Christ follower. That's his his point here. And so here's what that means. It means for us as Christ followers, just as Christ died to himself, we need to die to ourselves. Just as Christ was resurrected brand new because of his sacrifice on the cross for us, because he paid it forward for us, because of his ransom that's been paid for us already. we can live a new resurrected life in him. We've been given a new identity. We've been given the power to experience new life in him and the power to live differently than the world around us. So Paul's point is just as he poured out his life on my behalf, that I may know him. We are obligated as followers of Jesus Christ to pour our life out so that others may get to know him too. We are the ones that are obligated to demonstrate life in Christ to the world around us so that others might see our life and our good works and bring glory to the Father glorify the Father who is in heaven that's the charge that's the challenge why don't you stand with me